Teen Author Bootcamp presents The Next Best Seller, a podcast for aspiring teen authors. I am your host, Maddie Bramble. I am a 17-year-old marketing intern at TABC and am currently on my journey to write a book, just like many of you. On The Next Best Seller, we will learn all about the craft of writing from best-selling authors, from what an author's day might look like to the nitty-gritty process of editing, from character development to plotting your novel. We will reveal all you need to know to become a best-selling author yourself. This month's guest is Jennifer Jenkins. With her degree in history and secondary education, Jen had every intention of teaching teens to love George Washington, the Napoleonic Wars, and ancient Sparta. Until the writing began. She is the author of the Nameless Trilogy, To Kill a Curse, of Blood and Fire, The Order of Chaos, and Teen Writer's Guide, Your Roadmap to Writing. She is also the co-founder of Teen Author Bootcamp, a federal nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting teen literacy and authorship. She divides her free time between teaching creative writing classes at Utah Valley University, reading, taking spontaneous trips, researching random events from the past, and fostering her adrenaline junkie addictions. Okay, first off, what is one interesting fact most people don't know about you? Wow. So I think, I think one interesting fact about me is that I was raised in the military. So I actually moved 18 times before I turned 16 years old. And that experience gave me a unique um, perspective, I guess, when, when you consider uh, adapting to cultures and, and, you know, making friends uh, it, it forced me into being an extrovert, which was, it was a, it was a survival skill with that type of lifestyle. Yeah. How did that impact your writing? It's given me the opportunity to, to see a different way, um, a, a different, a different way of life. You know, every culture that you go and visit every, every part of, even within the United States, different regions value different things. And, and so what is important to somebody in the South is very different than what is important to someone in New England or, or, on you know, in the Pacific Northwest. And so, so I, I think that it taught me number one, that, that different is not necessarily bad, um, that there is something good in every culture and we have the opportunity to absorb the good and maybe filter the things that that we don't want and and for me because every every place that we lived was so temporary um i was able to do that a little bit easier than than maybe someone who who is um has lived somewhere their whole life and and hasn't have had the ability to to see see life a different way have you ever wondered how authors find time to write even with busy schedules when do they write? What helps them get in the mindsets to write? I'm here with Jennifer Jenkins to find out what a day in the life as an author looks like for her. So give us a brief overview of your novel, The Teen Writer's Guide. Teen Writer's Guide is a complete passion project. Uh, it was inspired by, uh, speaking of moving as much as I did, it was inspired by um all of these experiences that I had while in the backseat of a car growing up, a lot of my core memories are driving, taking these long drives 
from one state to the next um, for my father's next um, station. And so we, <laughs> so that, that was kind of the theme where the theme for the story comes from. Um, I wrote the book though, really because of my passion with working with teen writers. Uh, my work as, as a founder of Teen Author Bootcamp has really taught me the value of, of taking teens seriously in their writing and recognizing there's so many brilliant writers out there that, that need a little bit of guidance. And if I can save them some of the um, some of the heartache that I've experienced as I've been learning this craft over the years, uh, and and give them a leg up, then I want to do that. And that's that's where the idea for the Teen Writers Guide came from. It's a collection of all of all of my writing writing advice that I've gathered um, in my time um, being a writing a creative writing instructor at UVU as well as throughout the course of my work with Teen Author Bootcamp over a decade. So what has been your favorite experience through all these years of being a writer and an author? Oh, that is a hard question. You know, I've had several moments that really were dreams come true. I think sitting on a panel with Marie Lu in New York at Comic-Con um, in the Javits Center, that was a huge highlight for me. I, I felt like the energy and the discussion was, was so powerful. And it, it was, it was one of those moments where I had to step back and go, this is, this is actually happening. And I really wanted to make sure that I, that I observed the moment and, and, and acknowledged it for, you know, how epic it was. Uh, I would say that, and the launching of my first book, um, really set me on a course that just changed the trajectory of my whole life. So, so those would be the two moments. So what was your quote unquote kryptonite when writing either this book, the teen writer's guide, or maybe one of your other stories as well? So I, I would say my kryptonite is also my, my greatest weapon as well. And that is I'm a discovery writer um, as a discovery writer, I, I really allow myself to go uh, to let the story take me wherever I feel it should. And I'm very careful to make sure I have about six plotting points, which if you read the teen writer's guide, um, I talk about those plotting points in that book, but I, I make sure that I have some pit stops marked along my path that I know I want to hit for sure. But even those pit stops are negotiable for me. Um, once I start writing the book, if I, I, two words are constantly floating in my head and those words are what if, and I, I like to challenge every plot point. I like to challenge my characters and make sure that I'm not selling myself or my story short by limiting, by, by narrowing my focus only on this plot that I decided on, you know, at the, at the outset, it's my kryptonite though, because <laughs> It costs me so much time, even now, I, as familiar as I am with the concept of story structure and plotting, I find myself painting myself into corners and making a big change two thirds of the way through a book and having to go back and, and rewrite to that change. It's totally obnoxious. And my, 
my editors will will confirm that it it always has me flirting with my deadlines. I've never I've never turned a book in early. Um, I'm not late normally, but I I uh, I definitely flirt with that deadline because I do spend so much time in the weeds while I'm writing. Yeah. I feel like I'm like half of that, but also not like I do. I will just like go in a completely different direction, but I also like plot out everything I do. So I feel like then everything just kind of blows up in my face. Cause I'm like, I had this all plotted and I decided to switch it all. So I kind of like the idea of keeping it a little bit more open. Well, right. I remember feeling a lot of stress about that when I first started writing and I would take classes from writing instructors, like this is how you write a book. And this is the only way that you can write a book. I, I felt so much pressure that, oh, okay. I need to make sure that I have, you know, my 15 beats, you know, if you're using the save the cat method or, or all 10 of my plotting points, if you're using the hero's hero's journey, there's, that's a lot of pressure. So I really, um, I've found over the years what works for me. I can't just sit down and start writing a story without some forethought. But if I have these six moments plotted, then I can usually give myself enough space in between those plots to get creative and really discover my story because that's where my best writing lives is in that discovery process. Mm-hmm. So speaking of like writing processes, one is like one writing like rule that a lot of people say that you have like ignored. I once wrote a novel and it's actually a book that's coming out with Owl Hollow Press in the spring. The title, we have a working title as Eavesdropper, but I think that title is going to change. Anyway, I, I, when I originally drafted that novel, I set up three or four different characters um, and foreshadowed the possibility that they could be the villain in my story. But I genuinely, as I was writing, wasn't sure who I was going to choose as that villain until the moment that I wrote their name. And, and this is, shows the psychosis of the author, but I, I squealed and said, I can't believe they did it, you know? And um, that's, that is not advisable. <laughs> that is not advisable because then of course I had to go back and, and make sure that I had fleshed out all of the, all of the plot lines to make sure that, you know, the foreshadowing is still there. The reveal is satisfying, but I'm not too heavy with the foreshadowing on these characters that I set up to be the bad guy, quote unquote, but that actually were just a innocent bystander in my crazy psychosis. As an <laughs> I, I love that. I actually really want to try that now. Just like going in head first. I mean, of course you, we've talked before, you need a little bit of background, just not knowing the ending. Cause I feel like I stress so much on how my story is going to end right. that I don't really focus on what's happening on the way there. Mm-hmm. Well, it was a, it was an interesting exercise for me. I'll tell you that. Yeah. So if you could give any advice to your younger self, what would it, what would you tell yourself? I think it would be to keep it about the writing, keep it about the prose, keep it about the craft. Um, the publishing comes, the publishing comes, but it comes when the universe says it's, it's the right time. And, and that's not going to feel like the right time to you. You know, I, I remember really 
beating myself up over those rejections. And um, when really what I should have been doing instead of giving my energy to, to that negative space, I, I really wish that I could go back in time and just hug myself and say, focus on craft, get focus on sharpening your dialogue, focus on improving character and an understanding story. And, and that is, that's a use of your energy. That's positive. That's going to help you because that's what you can control. You can't control a yes or a no from somebody else. And there's so many variables that go into that, that potential. Yes. So many stars that have to align that it's, it's very dangerous and even detrimental to the author to, to hinge their happiness and their goals on a yes in publishing. Um, what we can control is how many words did I get out today? Um, what, have, what other um, books have I read that have supplemented my work? You know, am I attending this writer's conference or, or am I, am I listening to that podcast? There you go, Maddie, there's your plug. Um, or, you know, or a YouTube channel or whatever it is, I'm making sure that I'm feeding the author something that's positive instead of something that's potentially detrimental and negative and, and drags me down. Yeah. Yeah. And I also feel like writing advice. I mean, I've been to TABC twice now and I like talk to authors all the time for the podcast. And I feel like a lot of times I'll hear things again and I'll be like, Oh, I already know this, but I feel like there's so much more you can learn. Like mm. I listen to new things and maybe I'll hear four or five things that I've already heard, but then I'll hear one new thing that like benefits me so much. I completely agree. And sometimes it's the timing of when you hear it, like you will, you'll get advice and you go, oh yeah, that seems true. <laughs> you know what I mean? Good. Sounds like good advice, but it's not until you're in that specific moment that you're struggling with this sp specific problem and, and an author stands in front of you and says, this is, this is something that you should do. And a light bulb turns on in your head and, and that light bulb wouldn't have turned on a year ago because you weren't facing that problem at the time. So I think that repetition is huge. Yeah. So who are two of your favorite authors that you've looked up to and also kind of bounced ideas off of their books when you're writing? You know, um, an author that inspired me to write from the outset was Shannon Hale. I read Shannon Hale's Goose Girl and um, it, it made me, the prose were so lyrical and so beautiful and yummy that I, I wanted to create something beautiful. And, and I don't know if I have done that yet. I, I honestly am a still aspiring to, to write beautiful prose. But um, she was she was a very inspiring um, author to me in in the off, from the offset, and it was fun to, you know, multiple times now to interact with Shannon um, at Teen Author Bootcamp and other events. But I I would say throughout my personal career, people that I trust to bounce ideas off of um, definitely would be my my writers group. Um, I, I feel like Joe Schaefer um, has been just a huge integral part of my, my writing career. Um, Tasha Wilson, uh, Lois Brown, Margie Jordan, uh, James Lewis, all of those guys have, have really 
been somebody that I trust their critique and they're inspiring and motivating. Um, but uh, another mentor of mine would, I would say is Jay Scott Savage. He, and, and I think a lot of authors will use him as an example. He's been, we call him Papa Bear um, at TABC. He is, he is the one that introduced me to my writer's group essentially, and has been a mentor and a friend throughout my whole um, publishing career. You know, I've called him and asked him for advice um, with, with contracts or with different events or all sorts of circumstances. And he has been a steady, consistent, um, trusted uh, mentor to me. Yeah, he is, when I go to TBC, he is the person I sign up for very first because he gives some of the best advice that I've like That's gotten. That's a good teacher, such a good yeah. teacher. Yeah. So what is a quality that you think has been important in your life? I feel like, I feel like a quality that all authors need to have and something that has helped me more than probably anything else um, in my writing is just work ethic, you know, just, just sticking to a task and not giving up on it when other things start to get more um, appealing, right? Other stories start to to look more appealing. I'd rather jump to that than fix this problem here. Um, I feel like authors who I, one thing I, my publisher made these magnets for, for the teen writers guide is, is a quote from the book. It says dreamers make plans to write and writers write. Um, and I think that that is, that's a phrase that really encompasses my, my career as an author. And my eighth published novel is coming out in the spring. And I, I look at, I look back on how hard it's been to produce all of these books and the books that came before that no one will probably ever see um, that um, I needed to write uh, enough, just absolute garbage stories so that I could get to stories that, that deserve to be in the public eye. And, and I never would have gotten to that point had I not been willing to put in the time and the work um, to just get those words out. So I would say work ethic. So how is writing different than from when you were a teen? Oh my goodness. You know, I think I'm more, I think I'm more insecure in some ways uh, now than I was when I was a teenager. <laughs> Um, that's probably not like encouraging to your audience, Maddie, and I don't want to discourage them, but I will explain. Um, when I was a teenager, I had, I never wrote thinking about what other people would think when they read my work. Um, I had the luxury of writing for myself and I wrote terrible poetry and I wrote my feelings out in a journal I would come up with, <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm remembering some of the stories that I would write that were hilariously awful, but do you know what? I, I enjoyed the process so much. And I think that the adult me could really learn from the teen me in that respect to forget my audience a little bit. Um, you know, we have to be mindful of them to an extent because we need to know what is expected in the genre in the genre that we're writing, but, but I think real magic 
um, real um, genius comes out of the fingertips <laughs> on keys of authors that are writing for themselves, that are really focused on 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 creating something for themselves. And and if somebody else likes it, that's extra, that's bonus, but that's not the why. And and I that's been a goal for me moving into this into this next what I feel is kind of a transition in my career. Um, everything that I write, I really want to make sure that the why is there and that I'm writing it because I'm choosing it. I'm not I'm not writing to chase a market trend or I'm not writing to please this editor because I know they're specifically looking for this. No, I want to write for me. I want to write what speaks to my soul. Has editing your own stories ever proven difficult? Need some advice? It might be scary to kill your little darlings, but we are here to help giving you some tips and tricks to improve your writing from your own stories. This month's story is from Callista Covern. She is 17 and her story is called Where Am I? Living where it is always dark, damp, and lonely is not that much fun. I can always hear the clanging of rock and metal as they hit each other and the carts as they are slowly pushed along. Ever since I was young, I can imagine myself in a nice wide open field with flowers that smelled like warm honey in the mornings. When I open my eyes again, all I can see is the darkness that makes me feel bitterly cold. My name is John Robertson. I'm 15 years old, my hair is as brown as mud, and my eyes are the same color. I've been working in the mines ever since I was 10. I heard a voice echoing through the tunnels. Wow, I love the contrast between his life in the dark and his life, uh, and his life in, the, in, the, in the daylight. And I think that that's, um, the prose are beautiful. Well done. Yeah, I agree. I love the warm honey in the mornings with like mm -hmm. the, the like mud eye, the mud colored eyes. I think it's such like, I loved the prose, just as you said. You know, I think that, you know, your first line when you're talking about, and I'm paraphrasing and not looking at the, the text in front of me, I'm just going from memory. So please forgive. But um, you mention, um, that living in the darkness was not much fun. Um, and then you go on to describe the light and the dark, which like I said, I loved. Uh, I, I actually feel like anytime we use the word was and then follow that word with an adjective describing emotion, um, it's kind of a little bit of a missed opportunity. Um, so instead of telling us it's a, it's a little bit telling instead of showing. So instead of telling us that it wasn't much fun, I think you almost don't need that line. I think that the stronger line would be um, living in the dark was dot, 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 but something that is a little bit more um, descriptive um, instead of telling us the emotion. If we can, if we can do better, especially on that first line, everything else that you have is really strong. I really like the, the line where you just say, my name is John Robertson and, and basically state, I work in a mine, you know, um, another suggestion is you could even lead with that. And 
Um, I don't know. There's some creative sacrifice that you make if you do that though. But either way, I think that your pros are awesome and mm -hmm. congrats. That's good. Yeah. For me, for me, I'd almost cut the was in that entire thing. And just for me, I like when I'm like trying to convey a feeling, I like to go off like the surrounding and how a character pictures the world. Cause I feel like characters, how like, I feel like one character might like view the world super bright and happy, even if it's like a dark place. But if a character is really like negative on a thing, it tells you a lot more than, Oh, it wasn't fun. It's true. And, and, um, I mean, you can, you can actually use a setting as a juxtaposition for how the character's feeling, you know, it can be sunny and bright outside, but inside the character, it is, it is, you know, or I, there's a rainstorm within me, you know what I mean? Something like that. Um, yeah. but it can be bright outside, but all your character can see is the clouds and, and what we show our character, our character's interpretation of their setting says so much about what's going on inside them. It's a great point, Maddie. This podcast is sponsored by Teen Author Bootcamp. TABC is a nonprofit organization that brings best-selling authors and writing workshops to teen writers at affordable prices. For over a decade, TABC has held an annual writing conference in the month of March in Provo, Utah, and is now available virtually. For more writing tips, and tricks, go check TABC out on our website, teenauthorbootcamp.net or at teenauthorbootcamp on social media. Need advice that will better your craft? Well, here we go. Each week on the next bestseller podcast, we will focus on a specific element of writing to help you reach next level craft. Now let's talk about dialogue, an element of story that can elevate your writing when done right. Here's how you can be authentic in your character's dialogue while avoiding sinking the rest of your story by adding too much. How do you make the dialogue in a story feel natural to the characters? Do you know, I think a lot of, I, I would say the number one mistake that authors make when they're writing dialogue is they treat dialogue um, like it is narrative. They treat it as if it has to be written in a complete sentence. And when actually dialogue, the way we speak is, it actually, is a lot more similar to text message than it is to complete sentence writing. Um, we're messy in our language. We, we cut each other off. We're abrupt. We answer a question with a question. And so, um, you know, my favorite, my favorite visual, if you will, is imagine if you boiled a can of Coke and you have this can of Coke and you boil it, what would it look like? It would be like the syrupy goo of sugar, right? and all of the water is gone, that, first of all, don't boil a can of Coke. I don't want, <laughs> you will ruin your pan and your mother will be so frustrated with you. But, um, but that goo, that diluted concentrate is what dialogue should be. If we are comparing that to the English language, it should be boiled down to the most concise language that you can possibly use. And one thing, and I, I admit freely that my first published novel, um, that was probably my biggest weakness as a writer was my dialogue was too wordy. Um, most people don't speak to each other in complete formal sentences. 
it, it doesn't feel authentic. Um, and so, so really boiling it down, asking yourself, how can I rephrase this statement um, with fewer words? And I found using just that simple question that I, that my dialogue is more punchy. It seems more authentic. Um, another thing that I've noticed that helps with authenticity is making sure that every conversation has a winner. Um, I, we don't think about, I'm a very competitive person, like as far as sports are concerned, I, and, and card games, I'm not fun to play card games with. If you're not competitive, <laughs> you, I will overwhelm and make you really not want to ever hang out with me ever again. So I have to be very careful who I play games with, <laughs> but my point in, in bringing up the idea that every conversation has a winner and a loser, um, that, that concept is really helpful when you're writing a dialogue conversation, because usually that means that there's going to be um, one-liners that are strong. We're gonna have a mic drop statement here or there. Some, somehow we're going to see from this exchange, even if it's friends talking, that one of the characters has the upper hand by the end of the conversation. Their point has been made. They have, they have, they have made their case better and they won. They won that they won that conversation. And I know that that's a weird way of looking at dialogue as this, as if it was a competition. But if if you do that, then it then it helps you create that punch that often breathes life into a conversation. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I definitely think, especially when you have a winner, you're shortening your dialogue to what it needs to be because you're not focusing on all the other things that they could be saying about this conversation. Formal. It's not as formal. Yeah. Yeah. So how do you create dialogue that is like unique to a certain character? So not all the characters sound the same. Well, I think you pointing out that question shows that, you know, what you're talking about, Maddie. I think that that's a great question because, um, first off, I, I always try to look at, um, you know, what kind of character am I dealing with? And before I start writing a character, I'll actually practice dialogue from with that character um make sure i really understand their voice and even if this is a character i feel like we do that sometimes when a lot of authors do that with their with their protagonist you know with their narrator they really get to know the sound of their their character's voice they understand how they would respond in this situation but with our secondary characters and even our antagonist it's so important that we we get to understand you know how they would react in a social setting. You know, are they, are they uh, quick-witted? Are they embarrassed or shy? Uh, a bashful person will, will approach a conversation extremely different than somebody who is very confident or flippant or, or um, obnoxious, you know what I mean? So, so you have to, like you suggested, you have to pay attention to character. But I also think that um, making sure that body language matches that character and weaving um, action between your dialogue lines is what is going to paint a, a, a four-dimension, three-dimensional uh, image in your reader's mind as they read that character. Because we can say words and we can even say, he said softly, but we don't know that he's rubbing his foot in circles on the ground. Um, 
that um, I, I teach a class on dialogue that I really enjoy. And I talk about this in my teen writer's guide, but you know, we can say the words, I love you, Ronald. And, um, and the way we frame them and not just using a dialogue tags, we can say, I love you, Ronald. He said happily, or she said happily, either way, they, those um, tags with that LY adverb don't really do much justice to it. But imagine if we had a character come up to Ronald and we, and say, I love you, Ronald. And she pounds his chest with her fist, his chest with her, her fists. That action connecting, uh, connected or tagging the dialogue shows emotion that isn't necessary, isn't necessary in the dialogue itself. We don't have the words themselves, the words that exist in between the quotes do not have to um, explain as much if the sentence framing before or after the, those words, those quoted words is, is showing body language. Um, another example, I love you, Ronald. She pinched his cheek and walked away. Um, that changes the meaning of the context of the, of the word spoken. And, and I think that that knowing your character, knowing how what would their, what, not just their face, because our characters have bodies. They have more than just a facial expression that we have to describe. So what would their bodies do when they say that? And if you're crazy like me, you might find yourself in a room by yourself writing dialogue and practicing saying that and see what happens with my hands. And you guys on the podcast can't see my hands right now, but even as I'm talking, I'm using my hands I'm, you know, my body weight is shifting in different ways and little things like that, learning how to write those descriptions to support the dialogue really shows character um, and helps your reader visualize the, the scene better. Mm -hmm. So how do you choose between if you're writing, we can't add tags to dialogue, but how do you choose if you're going to describe something with description or dialogue? I think as a general rule, if you can describe it without saying it in dialogue, then it's probably a good idea. There has to be multiple purposes behind the dialogue. If you, if your character is saying something, then there's got to be more than one reason, more than just that we need that information. Sometimes you can say they had a conversation about what happened and then um, in the in the office, and decided that they were going to go and investigate. We just took out an entire scene that maybe didn't add value to the story. It maybe would have slowed down the plot. If your dialogue can be like the purpose of your dialogue can be described by something like that, um, by a sentence or two, um, then that's probably the best way to go about explaining that a conversation happened when you need to show the conversation and we, and we actually give the reader the chance to see the, the dialogue that, that means that we, our characters really need to know how that information was transferred. Does that make sense? So the details matter, um, not just what was said, but how it was said and how it was received. Um, if that serves the plot, then a conversation with dialogue needs to happen. Um, but if it's something that's just like, 
well, what do you want to do now? Well, I think we should go to the store to go and buy Twinkies. Um, that's not a conversation that serves anything because you can simply say they decided to go to the store to buy Twinkies. You know what I mean? Um, so, so anything that's mundane, you want to, you want to avoid using dialogue because you want your reader to know that when those quotes come up that are bracketing spoken words for your characters, you want them to lean forward. You want them to be attentive. These are weapons in a, in an art, uh, an author's you know, arsenal. And so you're going to wield those weapons with power if you're, if you're avoiding the mundane. Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any other advice for what teen writers, especially should avoid when writing dialogue? Avoid um, using, and it's funny that I just said, um, (laughs) because avoid using sound effects. That's something that when I first started writing, I used sound effects all the time. But I've since found through the help of some very intelligent editors and, and some experienced uh, writing uh, writers group meetings that I, that instead of using a sound effect, I can usually use, uh, I can usually describe body language or show hesitation if it's, usually sound effects come in the form of hesitation. They want to show that, that the character is pausing or uncertain about what they're going to say. And I found that instead of saying, um, I, uh, I didn't take the candy bar. So all of those, um, I, uh, you know, we would put an ellipses, the dot, dot, dot in between each one of those. And, um, yes, it shows hesitation, but instead of that, I would have the character say, I, comma, quote, she looked up at the sky and then over her left shoulder as if wishing someone would save her from this conversation and then looked back at Maddie and said, I may have taken the candy bar. You know what I mean? So that shows, comparing those two, the uh, I, um, versus giving an action that really, um, really, uh, See, I'm making all of these sound effects now. <laughs> uh, really demonstrates that hesitation a lot better. That's that's what you want to do. So avoid avoid using an excessive amount of sound effects if you can. Okay. So how do you put in slang or accents into dialogue without confusing your reader? Right. You know, and sometimes this is an editorial. Uh, preference. I've had some editors approach this differently than others, but I always recommend that if there is a sound effect, like there's a crash, um, which is not in dialogue, but it is a sound that's being made, right? Um, I italicize that. Now in dialogue, if there's an accent, uh, you don't want to italicize an accent, but you are going to use the apostrophe to really make sure that you're cutting off words the way you want to. Um, I, and, and I would just add that you probably want to do that sparingly because once you have a character say a certain word a certain way, you really need to start creating a dictionary next to your computer that you are keeping track of. Every time she says, my dear, it has to be M apostrophe dear. 
because I never say my dear. And so if just consistency is the rule with that, you need to make sure that you're consistent. And the more complex your system, the more likely you are to, to, to make a mistake. And it is a little exhausting to the reader if it's if there's too many, um, you know, strange words or slang or anything like that. Yeah, I agree. I, I do find it hard. Some of those old classic English books that schools make us read, <laughs> a little bit hard to read. Right. You almost have to like read it out loud to hear it because they they trip you up so badly. I think a, an example of using slang well, um, Hagrid in Harry Potter. The reason why Hagrid works is because his his vernacular works in that book is because he's not a primary narrator. It would be really exhausting if we read from Hagrid's perspective the entire time. But if you look at the sum total of all of J.K. Rowling's uh, words in, over the course of those seven books, Hagrid has a strong role in the story. But if you if you added up all of his speaking parts together, there's not that many. Um, and so I would be very careful about giving slang or a strong accent to a character that's narrating. I think it's a I think it's okay to describe their accent and show the reader that the way they speak based on other people's opinions about them, I can hardly understand you. Uh, why do you talk so fast? You know, and, and um, instead of trying to hyphenate every word that they say throughout the whole course of the book, you can, you can show it from the, uh, another character's perspective to give your reader the idea, oh, they have like an, a, a rich Cockney English accent got it. You know what I mean? And so we can use our imagination instead of having to try and flex our reading muscles so hard to be able to understand everything that we're is being written in slang. Yeah. So how do you get, how do you stop from getting too repetitive in dialogue? I think that you just have to be careful um, to read dialogue aloud. I think that um, the times that I've never actually, I've heard of authors that will have somebody read lines, almost like us creating, treating your manuscript like a screenplay and they'll with somebody else read conversations. And, and I've never done that, but I do read aloud my, my passages to make sure that they sound right. And I also find by reading aloud that I catch times when I, when I'm a little wordy, um, if you try saying your dialogue, if you try speaking it after you've written it, you'll find, oh, wow, that was very formal. Um, if, if that's the impression that you, that you give yourself, then it's the impression that your reader's going to have as well. So it's a, it's a helpful tool. Yeah. So what can teens do now to start a writing career? Oh boy. Right. Get as many words onto the page as you possibly can. Uh, I said it before and I'll say it again, you know, the focus on publishing is, is not going to be, it's not going to help you in the long term get published. Ironically, um, the people who get published are writing because they love to write and publishing just comes, it comes down the road. It doesn't come on anyone's time frame but the, you know, the universe is really, and there's effort and, you know, we do create, create our own luck. But most, the best thing that you can do as a teen writer is, is to 
work on your craft and get familiar with story, analyze even TV shows. Um, see if you can you can identify um, you know plot points or oh this is the end of the first act that was the inciting incident you know different things like that if you can if you can really learn story and write as many words as you can then you you eventually will be become published it's just a matter of time um, but the statistic is ninety seven percent of people who set out to start a book don't finish it. And that's often because they're, they're focused so much on what will I do once this book is done instead of enjoying the process. So get those words out, write a hundred bad, a thousand bad pages before you start writing, start writing good pages is, is another common um, phrase used in the publishing world. It takes a thousand bad pages before we start writing good pages. And that's a lot of writing. So so get those words out and you know what, you're, you might be like 300 bad pages or you might be like 20. I was probably like 5,000 bad pages before I started writing good pages. <laughs> so what advantages do teens have when it comes to writing? I think that teens have the ability to, you're in a space where, where relationships are so intense and extreme and varied. And, you know, there's so much choice as a teenager. You have the world, um, just the world is your oyster and it might not feel that way. You know, when you're, when you are the, uh, you know, living in somebody else's house and you're by their rules and all of those things, but really you're about to launch your own life. And so there's a reason why so many writers, even in their, into their dotage, like to write about coming of age stories because they're fascinating and exciting and you guys are living that. So your perspective is powerful. And I've always said that, you know, your perspective is powerful. It's valuable. And, and my goodness, write from it, write from that perspective while you're living it, because the rest of us old farts have to pretend and go back and try and remember what that was like. And so, and everything's more extreme for a teenager. You guys feel things so hard and, and what's better for a writer than emotion. Um, that's when best writers get their material. Um, I mean, when writers get their best material is when they're angsty and, and frustrated or in love or, you know, something that is extreme. And that is a teenager's day to day life. So so get those words out right now. You guys can create some incredible stuff. So what is a question that you would have liked me to ask you and how would you answer? What books I have out right now. And my first trilogy is called the Nameless Trilogy. It's nameless, clanless, and fearless. And it's a young adult fantasy with warring clans about a girl named Zoe who infiltrates an enemy clan as a spy and ends up falling in love with an enemy soldier. And then I have another trilogy that is adults and it is kind of a Mediterranean inspired fantasy that uh, follows the, this girl named Fina. She thinks she's killed her brother and she um, believes that everyone who touches her skin, bad things will happen to them. And throughout the course of this, this first novel, she, she spends her time pushing away somebody that she actually comes to love a lot and it's called to kill a curse uh, 
And then the second book in that trilogy is narrated by somebody completely different. And that book is called Of Blood and Fire. And then the third book in that trilogy is also has a new narrator and that that one's called the order of chaos so those are really fun um and then i have teen writer's guide and like i said my newest comes out in the spring coinciding with teen author boot camp actually in march march 26th of 2022 yeah and we're getting marissa meyer this year right yes ma'am i'm so excited to have her we we meant to have her right before the pandemic hit like right before um, March of 2020 and um, ended up having to go online. And Marissa has been wonderful in agreeing to come back to us. So where can people find you? Find me on my website at authorjenniferjenkins.com or you can find me on Instagram at authorjenniferjenkins.com, Facebook, all of those places. I am seldom on Twitter. Sorry, folks. Are your favorite authors pantsers or plotters? Or a mix of both? A planter? Here comes our lightning round. Let's get to know our favorite authors with fun and possibly silly lightning round questions. Are you a pantser or a plotter? Pantser. What is your guilty pleasure read? Ooh, um, historical romance, totally. What, which one's your favorite currently? Oh my goodness. I love the, the Clockwork Prince by Cassandra Clare. Love, love that. And that's kind of historical fantasy, actually. Um, but anything by Sarah Eden is candy to me. I love Sarah Eden so much. Yeah. Edenbrook's one of my favorite historical writers. Oh, yes. Julianne Donaldson, Edenbrook is incredible. So yeah. Awesome. Why do you write? What keeps you going? I write because I can't help myself. I write because when I sit in a room and I, you know, I, I daydream. And when I walk into a restaurant, I start creating dialogue for the couple sitting in the corner that I can't hear. And I, I write to manage the crazy in my head. <laughs> and, and because I feel like I have something to say, I write because I have something to say. So what is, or was the worst part of the COVID pandemic for you? not meeting in person for teen author boot camp. I would definitely say that. If you could meet up with any book character for lunch, who would it be and why? Cosbrecker from the Six of Crows. I just want to sit and bask in the glory of his awkwardness. I think that he is the most interesting, just weird character and so well-developed by Lee Bardugo. What is the best thing about being an an author say I would say it's nice to be validated in my writing but that's not really the best thing um I would say better than than speaking engagements better than book sales um I think the best part of being an author is justifying working from home with fuzzy socks with my feet up and spending time with the people that I love most which are people from my my imagination <laughs> I just described myself as a hermit but I just enjoy I, I enjoy spending time in that discovery space mm-hmm. while being comfortable <laughs> and sipping my hot cocoa and my my fuzzy socks if you weren't a writer though what would you be I you know I've I've discovered a business executive in my in my role as a, a 
has one of the founders of Teen Author Bootcamp, I, I really actually have found and discovered in myself uh, somebody who who loves to um, manage projects and and to to get things done. If you could have a billboard with anything on it, what would it say? Did you write today? I, I need that just like on the freeway. Yeah. When I drive to dance every day. What is your favorite song to get you out of a writing funk? Do you know? Oh, I changed so much lately. I I love just luminaires, everything luminaires. I love them. But um lately I've been really listening to Pink and some of her softer stuff, like glitter in the air and um anyway yeah I would say something like that something mellow and and something that makes me think and is emotive and and is poetic and abstract anything abstract that makes me really get into my own head um sparks a a writing itch in me so what is the idea of the perfect date (laughs) the perfect date okay so we jump on a plane over to Scotland and then we sleep for a full 24 hours so we don't have any jet lag and then we go castle hopping and finish off in an Irish or Scottish pub you know um with just like a full band and and just hanging out sipping our hot chocolate I Yes, I want to go to Scotland so bad. I, I think it would be awesome. Pretty epic. It's pretty yeah. good. One. I've I've hit a couple castles in Wales, and it's it just like sparks your writer's imagination. Mm-hmm, it does. I actually talk about my Scotland trip, and I have a blog that I run for my website yes. called the Bucket List Writer, and I talk. I use trips that I've taken, um, and I relate them to writing concepts, and it's kind of fun. What is your ideal writing time? I would say early morning. And it didn't used to be this way. I used to have a, a blog that was called Writing by Candlelight because I was a young mom and my kids were up all the time. And so if I wanted to write, I I, uh, I would have to do it once bedtime came around and I would write until like two in the morning. Now I have teenagers and that time in my life is not my own. So it's completely switched. I, I woke up this morning just thinking about the story concept, in fact, and I couldn't, I couldn't go back to sleep. So I just got out of bed at five and started writing and worked until seven until the rest of the house got up and moving and, and got a lot done. So early morning, I find that I don't get emails. And, um, and if I can get a jump on my writing before the rest of, you know, my TABC work and, and whatnot kicks in, then I get a lot done. Would you rather vacation to a tropical location or a snowy location? I know this makes me crazy, but I would say snowy. I love snow. I love, I love, I mean, put me in the mountains with some snowshoes and I, I'm in heaven. Yeah. I, I love skiing, but I don't know. I like this. I know. I it's I love tropical too, but I mean I probably would say snow. If you could have written any book ever written, which book would it be? Not fair. (laughs) 
I, well, I started with Shannon Hale's Goose Girl and I'll finish it. Uh, I'll let's, let's go with that. Shannon Hale's Goose Girl, or I would say The Six of Crows by Lee, Lee Bardugo as a more modern um, young adult alternative. I, I really loved that book. Why do you think teens should, should join TABC? Teen Other Boot Camp is the absolute like Grand Central Station of, of connecting with other authors your age. So that's reason number one, um, just because there's so much synergy and, and collective creativity that, that springs forth from these types of events. You're going to meet people that are like you, that like what you like, and you're going to be taken seriously by, by New York Times bestselling authors that will workshop with you. And it's just fun. And we have a great time. I would say that we just... We, we don't take ourselves too seriously, but our programming, we have so much fun. There's always a surprise. There's always something um, shocking that happens at Teen Author Bootcamp that um, we really try and make it a fun experience. And so I would say the community is one, the authors definitely are right up there too. And then just, just we have a good time. What is your hope for the future generation of authors? Do you know, one thing that we've really stressed, stressed in at Teen Author Bootcamp um, is just making sure that uh, your voice is validated and heard. And I, I think that what I would love to see um, from authors that are coming up in the ranks is I would love to see risks. I would love to see boundaries pushed. I would love to see um, the old be made new, I guess. Um, what There are so many beautiful things about literature that we've stepped away from, um, from the classics. And I would love to see new interpretations of old things that were beautiful. Well, that's all I have for you today. It was awesome to be able to talk to you more about writing instead of about work stuff. So I know. Well, Maddie, it's been a pleasure to work with you too. Um, you are a huge asset to our team and we just think the world of you. So thank you so much for having me on. Thanks for joining us on today's episode of The Next Best Seller. Find out more information about TABC at Teen Author Bootcamp on social media and at teenauthorbootcamp.net as well as subscribe to the podcast and follow at the next bestseller on Instagram to keep a lookout for more episode releases. You can find out more about our events and sign up to have your work critiqued on a future podcast. Make sure to tune in next time for more writing tips and tricks and to learn more about your favorite authors. Here's to one of us writing the next bestseller. Happy writing!